Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. Hey, my name is Adam. I'm the pastor here. Super happy to have you. Such a good time. Have you guys noticed all the new babies here? Yeah, there's all these like little new babies here today. Like, like the vineyard is, is blooming again. It's springtime at the vineyard. This happens at the vineyard, and we're back in it, and it's just very cool, you know? It's just very cool. So I see the, the new pepper baby. Everybody say, hi, pepper baby. You know, it's just very cool. So, yeah, there you go, there you go. And there's others, like whatever, you know? You know what I'm most excited about? They're not mine. They're, it's like, there are children and they are not mine. And this is, this is a word from God. Some of you are like, this is a very strange way to begin a sermon. I'm like, just hang on. Hang on. Like, you have no idea where this is going. Um, here's what I want to do today. Um, today and next week, Emily and I are going to, share a couple things out of the New Testament that might go under what is what might be a life goal for you and me, but from the Bible. And so we're going to do this for like a couple weeks, right? And then just to give you fair warning, uh, Valentine's Day, uh, that would be February 14, we'll have our first ever Ash Wednesday service here, like our first ever formal Ash Wednesday service. And then for the next Sundays afterwards, all the way up until Easter, we'll be entering into Lent. And we'll talk about more of that later, but I just want to give you, like, what are we doing for the next little bit? That's what we're doing. But here's what I want to do this morning. Uh, I want to talk to you about life goals. Life goals. Uh, maybe we'll start with this question. What are your life goals? Could anybody name their life goals? You know, it's February 4th. Uh, it's the beginning of a new year, and maybe you spent some time at the end of last year or the beginning of this year sort of evaluating your life. Do you do that? Does anybody here do that? You're like, you evaluate your life and you go, well, you know, just finished out the year, going to start another one, and maybe there's some things you want to let go of. Anybody here decide there were some things you wanted to let go of? You know, there's just some things I want to let go of. Or maybe it wasn't so much you wanted to let go of something, but there was something you wanted to lay hold of. Anybody do that kind of thing? I, I try to. Um, I try to do that every year. Uh, I'm sometimes a little bit successful, sometimes not as much, but that's what happens. Uh, when I was a kid, when I was a kid, I had one life goal, and it was to play basketball for the University of Kentucky. <laughs> Here's what happened. I grew up and I found out that they didn't need six foot one non-athletic white boys who don't jump and don't shoot particularly well. They don't, they don't need me. That's what I found out. And so when you, when you find that out and then you, that was your life goal, you have to get a new life goal, you know? And, and that happens sometimes. Um, but here's what I wanted to say about having a life goal right up the, begin, up the front here this morning. It's really important to have some kind of a vision for your life. Uh, goals are really important. You need vision and here's why, because without them, 
you and I can become pushed by very real forces into places we never intended on going. That's why you need, you need some sort of a vision for your life. Like without a vision for your life, the cultural winds can blow you into places you didn't want to go. And here's what I want you to know about life. There are cultural winds. They are blowing on you right now. And so the question is, is does the ship of your life, does it have a rudder? You know, some of us, some of us are just here and we're like, I don't know. I'm just, tomorrow will be Monday and the next day will be Tuesday and I'm just doing whatever it is I do. And it's like, well, great, but that's a rudderless ship and there are winds that are blowing on you. And if you're not careful, you'll look up and in 10 years, you'll be in a place you never imagined going and you didn't actually want to go. And so there's something about vision and there's something about goals. There's something about charting a course that puts a rudder on your ship and allows you to steer. And here's the amazing thing about having, having a, a rudder on your ship or even some sails. If you learn how to put the rudder on your ship and have some sails, you can actually sail against the wind if you choose to. So even when the winds are blowing you in one direction, you can say, nope, I'm a different kind of sailor. We're going somewhere else. Does this make sense? But without some kind of like vision and without some kind of goal, you'll just go wherever the prevailing winds take you. And as someone who's lived a little while, I know about that. But here's the question. It's not just enough to have a vision for your life. Here's the real question. Is your vision any good? You know, it's not just enough to have a goal for your life. The real question is, is that goal any good? What if, you, what if you state a goal? What if you write it out? What if you have a personal mission statement and then five years into it, you find out it's a crap statement? You find out it's a trash goal, right? You're like, wow, that was worked hard on that. Turns out it's not great. Well, here's what I want to do this morning. This morning, I want to read a text from the New Testament. It spells out some of this and gives us a really good goal for our lives. It's just two verses. It's from 1 Thessalonians. This is the Apostle Paul talking to actually a pretty decent church. You know, it's like one of the good ones. This is what Paul says. Make it your goal. Whoa, there it is already, huh? Make it your goal. For what? To live a quiet life. Mind your own business and work with your hands just as we instructed you before. Then the people who are not believers will respect the way you live and you'll not need to depend on others. That's our text for the morning. That's our text. Here's what I would love it. I would love if you would do this. I would love it if you would put this scripture on your vision board somewhere. You know, it's really important to have a goal. It's really important to have a vision for your life. Why don't you just put 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 11 and 12 right up there. Paul says it. Here, here's a good goal for your life. Live a quiet life. Mind your own business. Work with your hands. People will take notice. Things will all go well. That's not bad, I'm telling you. But here's what we need to do first before we maybe open up the scriptures this morning. We ought to do a little cultural dissection. A little cultural dissection. And here's what I mean. We need to become aware of some of the cultural stories and ambitions that are all around us. If we go back to that thing I was talking about a moment ago, we need to become aware of the cultural winds that are blowing around us all the time. 
Uh, number one, there's this category of things that I'll call cultural ambitions, cultural ambitions or, or individual desires. They show up that way. So they're like, they're like the things that our culture is telling us that are important, and they show up in our lives as internal individual desires. Here's a few. Non-exhaustive list, by the way. Number one, it's my desire to be rich. You know? Like, here's a life goal. Here's one of my life. I want to be rich. You know? I want to be rich. Not only that, but I want to be famous. And I want to be powerful. And I want to be in the know. I want to be somebody who knows this stuff before the commoners know this stuff. You know? All those low people down there who don't really know what's going on. You know, I've done the research. And so I know. Uh, here's, another, here's another thing that's in the cultural wind of ambition. It's, it's, it's a love for the obvious. That one's kind of weird, but it's, well, maybe make more sense in a moment. There's this love for the things that are obvious. Um, another one is, there's a sense in our culture right now where everything that is good, and I'm using air quotes for those who are listening on the podcast, there's an ostentatiousness to everything that is good. It's like, it's like vulgar obviousness, if I could put it that way. It's this desire to be noticed. Uh, also right along with that is, is radical individualism. Just want to do my own thing. I want to live my own truth. Like, don't tell me what to do. You can't tell me what to do. There's nothing else out there that can tell me what to do. I want to live my own truth. Uh, it's a world where everything is just sort of out there all the time. Uh, not only that, but it shows up like this. Like, little kids want to be YouTubers. I told Rowan one day, I'm like, if you say you want to be a YouTuber one more time, I'm throwing your phone in the river. Right? Like, that's not a life goal. No. And, and the desire to be a YouTuber, I'm being funny here, but it's basically the culmination of all that compressed into one thing, isn't it? It's like, what? No. Or I want to be a cultural influencer. And by the way, all of this touches Christians too. You know, it's not just like the other people. Like, Christians just go, oh yeah, we'll do that too. I want to be an influencer for Jesus or something. But these cultural individual ambitions, they're fed by what I would consider greater cultural goals. And what I mean here is that the culture has a handful of goals for your life and they feel rather invisible. You almost have to think of them as wind and they move anything that isn't tethered to something bigger. That's what happens, okay? And you might be thinking, well, what are they? Well, here's a few. Uh, this is a huge one. The culture wants to make you and I buyers. Like this is, one of, this is one of the number one goals of the wider culture for every person in here. The culture doesn't care if you're a Christian or not, just as long as you're buying something. Like what, what is the wind that's on your life? Purchase. Like this is a really big deal. Like it's, it's literally everywhere. The whole internet is designed to make people into consumers. Consume content, new stuff, opinions, you name it. Doesn't matter, just consume. Uh, you know, you want to be an atheist? It's, it's great, just order, you know? And if you want to be a Christian, that's fine, just order. And, you know, you want to be, you want to be agnostic about something? Wonderful, just like watch a lot of stuff on the internet. You want to be like a focus on the family Christian and, and raise, 
Everybody write, great, that's awesome too. Be sure to watch our content and buy our books, right? Like the, the cultural wind is pointed at making you a consumer. So that's, that's one goal. Number two, the culture wants to put you and I on teams. <laughs> how many of you have felt that wind? And how many of you know that if you're not tethered to something bigger, you'll end up on a team? Like you will be on a team. And you will not just wear the jersey, but you'll hate all the other jerseys. Like one of the goals right now is to divide everybody into teams and, and not just make you love your team, but make you hate the other team. And it, this is like every place, you know? The culture wants to put you either in the ins or the outs. The culture wants to make you like good Republican or good Democrat. It just wants to divide, divide, divide. So it wants to make you a consumer and wants to put you on teams. Uh, the culture wants your vote. Uh, the culture wants your soul energy. That's what it really wants, mostly in the form of attention. And the best way to acquire this is through outrage and disgust. Like that's, that's the engine, right? Is outrage and disgust. And it just drains your soul energy. How many of you have ever gotten on the internet and gotten really torqued about something that's not happening around you, spent the better part of a week cranked about something that is literally not around you, but is on the internet and then realized on Friday, I'm so tired and like upset. Anybody ever done that? Liars. <laughs> Liars. Yeah, you've done that. You totally have done that, right? Yeah, and it just depletes, it depletes that part of your soul that's alive and caring and seeing the outside world. And so when you put all of this together, what you get is a storm of influences that are working on us at all times and forming our deepest desires and choices. And this is why we need a Christian vision for life. And this is why we need a goal for living. And Paul says three things this morning, make up a worthy life goal. Number one, we'll put them up. I think I even put it out here. Number one, live a quiet life. Number two, mind your own business. Number three, Work with your hands if you can. Isn't that wild? I mean, maybe we should just snapshot that. Snapshot? My brain is literally disintegrating right now. Take a snapshot of that. Yes. I want to break that into three parts really quickly this morning. Number one, here's a, here's a good Christian vision for your life. Live a quiet life. I just want to tell you when I read this, the possibility of a quiet life Man, it just, it runs so counter to our assumptions of what a good life is in a couple ways. It just like, when I was sitting with it, I'm like, oh, that just feels so counter, doesn't it? Uh, and, and I think it happens this way for a couple reasons. Number one, uh, I don't know if, uh, if this is true for you, but it feels true for me. A, a quiet life doesn't feel powerful. And so it runs counter to the preference for something that's off, often obvious and ostentatious. A quiet life doesn't feel powerful. It, it, it feels like one more thing that's getting run over, you know? It feels like we live in a world right now where the big powerful things just run over everything else, don't they? And then you're like, you hear Paul go, hey, listen, dudes, like if you're gonna be in the church, it'd be great if you just lived a quiet life. And you're like, no, the gospel of the kingdom is the most powerful thing. And so you're just telling them to let them run over us with their cultural boat. And you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. 
It just feels sometimes like one more thing that's getting run over. I don't know about you, but sometimes my impulse is to fight fire with fire. Anybody else ever like that? Like that's, that's kind of like my, my natural inclination. Like we'll fight fire with fire. And then Paul comes along and says, live a quiet life. I'm like, but what about the fire, Paul? What about the fire? Here's what I've learned about fighting fire with fire. If you fight fire with fire, everyone gets burned. That's what I found. But it doesn't feel initially powerful. And number two, a quiet life doesn't feel initially to check that box in terms of our preference for the obvious. I prefer the clear. I prefer the obvious. I prefer a showy display. I, I prefer something that's larger than life, but a quiet life feels like, feels like we're missing out. It stirs up my FOMO, you know? And yet, and yet if, we, if we look at the scriptures, we have to say a few things, or we have to notice a few things. Number one, Jesus spent 30 years of his life in absolute hiddenness. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute, why? You know? Yeah, it's wild. We read the Gospels, and the Gospels are filled with stories about what Jesus did, but there's this whole life that Jesus lived that precedes that, that gets almost no mention. And, and how many of you understand that when Jesus was doing nothing, he was the Son of God? When, when Jesus was working with his hands in his dad's shop, he was still the son of God. And so there's this invitation in the scriptures, even from the son of God himself. I mean, Jesus spent 90% of his life unknown, maybe 10% of his life doing the things we know about him. Uh, so much of Jesus's teaching is about the kingdom and it's about how it's growing from a place of hiddenness that isn't obvious at all. We talk about it here at the Vineyard all the time. The kingdom of heaven is like a seed that this guy threw out on the ground, right? And what happens to seeds? They go into the ground and they get completely hidden. Can't even see it. Uh, the kingdom of heaven is like a little bit of yeast that a woman put in a bunch of dough and she stirs it up. This is what you do. With, by the way, this is what you do with dough. <laughs> and it gets completely hidden. So there's the life of Jesus, but then there's also the stories that he tells and there's something about a hidden life that's actually a vehicle for something that's good and for something that's worthy and for something that contains God's kingdom. Quiet life is one that's filled with peace. It's, uh, it's low to the ground. Uh, there's something about it that's reserved. It's not all out in the open. And it's something, there's something about a quiet life that's, that's grounded. I would also like to say this. There's something about a quiet life that has a better chance of actually being real. Have you ever noticed that? Like there's something about the, the things that are very real. They don't have to be shouted. And rather than putting forward a version of ourselves that's made for social media or the viewing pleasure of others, a quiet life is close enough to the ground to actually be real. So there's a decent goal. Live a quiet life. Number two. Mind your own business. Did you know that minding your own business is in the Bible? <laughs> it's, like, it's like it's not just something your parents say to you or something. You know? it's, it's like in the Bible. It's a worthy goal because we live in a world where gossip and speculation and slander are more than standard. 
like, especially among Christians. We're not immune. You know what, you know what people love? The juice. Like what's, like, what's happening? What's going on, you know? That's what we love. We love knowing what's happening with other people. And it wasn't just us. Apparently it was the believers in Thessalonica as well. Paul gives us this word in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, but then he also says this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 11. Like, this was apparently a thing, right? And if it was a thing that comes up twice in one chapter, how many of you know it's probably in us? Look at what he says in this next letter to the Thessalonians. He says, we're just jumping in mid-argument here. He goes, yet we hear that some of you are living idle lives, refusing to work and meddling in other people's business. We command such people and urge them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and to work and earn, own their, earn their own living. Like, look at that phrase there, meddling in other people's business. Like, apparently, apparently this is just a thing, right? What's a worthy goal? Number one, live a quiet life. Number two, mind your own business. And y'all, I just want to say, it's hard to be a person, isn't it? It's so hard to be a person, especially when every day there's something new on the socials that stirs people up. And it's not just other people too, it's me. I mean, how many times have I written something out and then deleted it, you know? Are you guys writers and deleters? I mean, a writer and deleters are better than a writer and a poster. I just want to say, like we're trending, right? Or, or and, then, and then the next step back is you don't even write, but you're a lurker, right? You're like, Dude, you see that thread? You're just, you, like, you, you become the Michael Jackson meme where he's just eating popcorn, right? You're just like. And I just want to say, this is not a good life. Like, this is literally not a good life. Uh, not only that, the reason it's not a good life is, is, is very basic. It, it's because it's a suspension of my own life. That's what it actually is. Like putting things out in the world that I have no control over, blowing up things that are far away from me, like just being a keyboard warrior about anything is so pointless. It takes soul energy. It is literally hoisting my sails into the cultural wind that wants to stir everything up on agitation, disgust, because that's the way attention is held. And so Facebook just keeps putting that out in the algorithm, right? It's the opposite of a good life. So number one, live a quiet life. Number one, that's for you, Adam. Number two, Adam, <laughs> mind your own business. And then number three, Paul would say to all of us here in the church, work with your hands. A couple things that we just need to know. Number one, like manual labor was not highly regarded in the ancient Near East especially in ancient Greece, where this letter would have been written to. Like manual labor was like two thumbs down. Uh, Homer claimed that human beings had to work because the gods despised them. Like this was sort of the, the cultural waters that Paul was riding to and swimming in. And, and not only that, but the, the, the common cultural assumption was that manual labor was for it's for slaves. It's just like slaves and maybe freemen, but like you just, it's for like the nobodies, right? 
And yet, in this very culture, Paul says to the church, if you want a vision of a good life, do something with your hands. And again, it'd be good for us to notice this morning, um, Jesus was a carpenter. The disciples were fishermen. Paul was a tent maker. Uh, there's, something, there's something about working for your hands. And, and here's what I was thinking about this week. Jesus was a carpenter. The disciples were fishermen. And Paul was a temp, tent maker. And I, I was kind of thinking about this, this this week, that the gospel was written by calloused hands. You know? And there's something to that. Uh, there, there's, something, there's something about that the people who spoke of heaven the most were most connected to the, to the world below. So here's what I want to say to the church this morning with regards to working with your hands. Number one, uh, if you're a tradesman here this morning, uh, if you work with your hands, uh, here's what I want you to know. You are near to the kingdom of heaven. Bottom line. You build stuff, you swing hammers, you drag cables, you get dirty, you come home smelling like an animal, you are near to the kingdom of heaven. Near to the kingdom of God. And some of you in the room might be thinking, but what if, what if you're not? <laughs> like, should we all quit our desk jobs, Pastor Adam? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. Maybe. But here's the thrust as I see it. Here's the thrust as I see it. We live in a different world, do we not? We just live in a different world. But here's, here's the thrust as I see it from what Paul is saying to us. There's honor in decent and honest work. I think that's what Paul's really saying. It's not just like, hey, quit your desk job and go get a hammer. I mean, you can, but you don't have to. But here's what he's really saying. There's honor in decent and honest work. And that goes for teaching, it goes for building, it goes for accounting, it goes for parenting. Uh, I, part of what I hear in the scriptures this morning is that a good life is one that's not too far from the lived experience of regular people. Like what is, what is a great life goal? Have it your life goal to, to live a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to never let your work separate you from the lived experience of real and normal and common people. Do something honest that connects you to the actual community around you. Stay away, stay away from two things in particular. Number one, Paul says, stay away from idleness. Read for that, not having a job or not having enough of a job. Like Paul would say to everybody who doesn't have a job or doesn't have enough of a job, look, get with it. Why? Here's why, because because idleness is not conducive to a good life. Idleness is not conducive to a good life. And here's part of what was probably happening in, in Thessalonica. Uh, by the way, Paul commends this church over and over for their love. And he's like, you guys really love each other. And there's this stream of generosity that, ex, that, ex, that existed in the, Thessalon, the Thessalonian church. And, and here's what was probably happening. Because of the love and because of generosity, some people were just like, bro, we're on easy street, right? And Paul's like, no, no, you can't just be the person that everybody else is always taking care of. You have to lean in to going to work and 
doing something with your hands, minding your own business and living a quiet life because it's good for you and it's good for us. Do something in the world that connects you with the common lived experience of the people around you. This is a good life. And so Paul says two things like, look, you got to give up idleness. You got to have a job. And the second thing he says is, you got to let go of, of scheming, you know? And part of what I hear in that is like, let the output match the input when it comes to work. There should, there should be like, there should be a match in the input and the output. Um, I, I, this is hard to explain, but when I hear work with your hands, part of what I'm hearing is like, there needs to be some kind of a match between what, what I do and what is produced. Does this make sense? And, and part of what I hear in that is the invitation to give up idleness, but I also hear in it the invitation to give up scheming. Because oftentimes part of the cultural win goes something like this. How can I do the absolute least and get the absolute most? How can I become like major extractive in everything? Does this make sense? And here's the thing about, here's the thing about working with your hands. And here's the thing about being a builder or anything that's manual labor like the Bible was talking about here a moment ago, you can never, ever, ever uh, be in that kind of position where the output doesn't exactly match the input. I think this is actually very, very important, especially in a world where we can create careers for ourselves with a click or, click or two of the button, and all of a sudden the output doesn't match the input. I think this is a, actually a very big deal. Work hard, don't be an extractor, and don't avoid what's difficult in your job. Uh, when, you're, when you work with your hands, you have to face it every moment. That's part of what I hear. Like maybe, maybe you're a school teacher here this morning, or maybe you're an accountant, or maybe you have a desk job. What, what, what I hear when I hear Paul say, work with your hands. Uh, face the difficulty, because when people who actually work with their hands show up to work, they have to face the difficulty every moment, and you can't get away from it. You know What does it mean? It means get in it. Get in it. But there's a promise there, and, and maybe, Cody, we can put that first scripture back up. There's a promise for it. Paul says, look, here's a decent life goal. Quiet life, mind your own business, work with your hands. But look at verse 12. There's an amazing promise. Then people who are not believers, they'll respect the way you live, and you won't have to depend on anyone. Uh, how many of you know that there is, there's, like, there's an evangelistic gospel furthering thing that happens if you and I commit to having a good life as the Bible says, a good life is a good life. It just multiplies something in the world. How many of you are aware that sometimes Christians don't have great reputations? <laughs> I was talking to a friend the other day. He was like, you know what kind of contractor I don't hire? Ones with fishes on the back of their truck. I was like, same, bro. <laughs> Why? Because there's not a match there, right? Yeah, sometimes Christians don't have great reputations. What if, what if wherever we're at, what if on the job, in the factory, at school, behind the desk, at the keyboard, in the email, what if we made it our goal to have a, live a quiet life. We minded our own business. We worked with our hands. We faced the problems. We stayed connected to the community around us. And people were just like, holy smokes, who is this person? 
What is the integrity? What is the ground? They are so not shifted by the cultural winds. What, what, we, what would it be like if everybody at your workplace was like, man, these Christians, they're just not blown by the cultural winds of like controversy and ostentatiousness. What, what would it be like if, if people said, you know what? I'll tell you what, at the vineyard, they're kind of weird. They sing really loud songs and Glenn plays a baritone guitar. But you know what? If they tell you something, that's just what it is. Like what if, what was, what if that was our reputation around town? What if, what if the reputation around town is like, you know what? I'll tell you what I do when I'm trying to get something done. I, I try to find a vineyard person. You know? Because if you find a vineyard person, bro, you know it's going to be what it is. What if that was... What if that was our reputation around town? I think that if we made our life goal, if we made our vision statement, if we made our personal mission statement, if we made it align with what the Bible says a good life is, I think it would absolutely, really slowly and really deliberately, I think it would turn things upside down in our community. That's what Paul says. Here's what I think. I think many of us are fatigued from the rat race that the cultural winds blow upon us. The winds that make us feel like we need to be consumers or the winds that try to put us on teams or the winds that try to always grab our vote, the winds that suck all of our spiritual energy from us. I think... I think that happens to a lot of us. I think a lot of us are just like really fatigued from the rat race. I think a lot of us have been fatigued from the anxiety of having a life that didn't have a rudder and we're just getting blown around and it makes you anxious and then all of a sudden, how many of you know that anxiety can make you fatigued? It's like, oof, it'll wear you out, you know? And, and I just think, I think that if we were to go, you know what, don't want to have a rudderless life. I want to, I want to put the rudder back on my ship, but I need to make sure it's a good one. I think if we... We're to put 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 11 and 12. Man, I think we could let go of some of that. Here's what I want to do this morning. I want to pray. If you are on the worship band, why don't you come on up? And if you're not, I want you to, I want you to stand up this morning. We're going to pray. Thanks again for stopping by the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening at the Vineyard, you can follow us on social media. Until next time.